0: Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we invite you to find your story within God's bigger story. We are a church that lives for something bigger than ourselves and is passionate to proclaim and demonstrate the way of Jesus. This fall, we are opening up the letter of 1 John. We believe it is a timely book in the life of the church. John is writing to a church that is divided over theological differences and confusion about how to follow Jesus in the midst of division. John's answer is love. God's love for us is immeasurable, and so our love for one another should be as well. It's a call to unity and care for one another in the midst of division. We're glad that you've joined us for this series. If you are interested in attending in person, our weekend services happen every week on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings at 9 and 1030 a.m. So, today we are continuing our series in 1 John. Uh, We are reaching the halfway point. Uh, Throughout this series, we've been focusing on the immeasurable love of God. The immeasurable love that God has for each one of us, and that love that calls us to display His love towards others. So, the love that we have received then gets put um, in place to love other people. Uh, But what's interesting is in this passage that we're looking at today, John has a distinct shift in tone. Up until this point, John has has really been trying to to reassure and affirm his followers, people within his churches and in his community, uh, that they can know that they have the love of God and that they can love one another. But throughout the weeks, he's kind of been sprinkling hints that there's some division and dissension within the churches, that there's a group of people that are actually trying to lead his churches astray and that have been kind of leading them away from the person of Jesus. And where he's kind of addressed them abstractly or, or kind of hinted at them before, for today, he goes directly at them and confronts them. And his language shifts from, my dear children, I love you, and God loves you, and you need to follow the ways of God, to these people are the antichrists. And the language just jumps a whole level. And you're like, whoa. If you're familiar with that term, we're going to dive into it a little bit later. But he's using really strong language to condemn these people who are causing division within his church. And he goes into this kind of spiritual father protective mode. He talks throughout this book and he calls his churches and the people of his churches his dear children. And John at this point in his life is towards the end of his life. He's probably one of the only disciples left alive. And he sees his church being torn apart and he says, I have to do something to stop this. And so he confronts the people who are coming against his church and he goes into this spiritually protective father mode. Now, as a new father, I feel like I maybe have a little bit of a hint of what that looks like. There's something that happens when you become a parent and you see your child in danger that you instinctively go into protective mode. So it doesn't matter if your child is about to fall off a counter that they weren't supposed to be on. You don't just let them fall I'm like, well, you're learning your lesson. You go and you try to save them. If they're running out into traffic or if they're running around a parking lot, you go and grab them and pick them up and make sure they're protected and safe. And I had a, a situation that was sort of like that. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, although it's not quite as cut and dry as someone just falling or my child running into the street, uh, we were at the park playing on the merry-go-round. And as we were on the merry-go-round, I was pushing Camden on the merry-go-round. She's singing Wheels on the Bus, uh, which I promise you was written in like the seventh layer of health. That song is awful. It is so, so bad. And there's this whole group, I don't even know, it's like Coco Lemon or Lulu I don't know what it is, but they, they write kids' songs and it sounds like they're trying to torture parents. Like it sounds like that's what they set out to do. So she's singing this song. We're pushing her around the merry-go-round and all of a sudden another little boy walks up and wants to get on the merry-go-round with Camden, my daughter. That's fine. We'll let you on. And turns out he's a little older. And as he's on the merry-go-round, he doesn't want to just sit and sing songs with Camden. He wants to kind of run on the merry-go-round, jump on the merry-go-round. And he ends up falling on my daughter, crushing her hand with his foot, and then just like falling in a mess and and entangles her. And I I instinctively, as a father, my reaction was, I'm going to shove this kid and get him off my daughter. (laughs) Thankfully, By the power of the Holy Spirit, I didn't do that because you can't shove four-year-old boys. That's not appropriate, and I promise I didn't. Some of you are like, ah, I know you, Paul. You might have shoved a kid. I didn't promise, but there was this instinctive reaction to protect my child. That is what John is doing in this passage. He is protecting his children against enemies of the church, people who are trying to tear down, divide, and confuse his people. And the question is, for us today, is is why is John feeling so protective? What is it that is threatening the churches that he uh, has pastored, that he has planted, that he has shepherded? What is the threat to those people And what you'll see is that that there were false teachers who were making Jesus into a God that they wanted him to be, that they were messing with the very personhood of Jesus Christ and leaving people confused, frustrated, creating division on what is actually true. And John steps into this moment and says who Jesus is, who the false teachers are, and how we can protect ourselves against the false teachers. And I think it's a very relevant passage for us today because just as as these people in John's churches were trying to create Jesus in their own image, Jesus could be whoever they wanted him to be, they were giving false teaching about Jesus, we see a lot of that today. We see in relativism this idea that, that there's no absolute truth and that we can kind of just hodgepodge and, and piece together a Jesus that fits our liking. And so we might cut parts of Jesus teaching out that we don't like, or we might say that Jesus is just our friend or he's just a, a good spiritual mentor. or We might have ideas of Jesus that he's not actually the son of God, but, but that he's just some sort of nice, general, good person uh, that we can learn from. And there's a lot of confusion around the person of Jesus Christ. And as we come closer to Christmas, you begin seeing all these specials on CNN and the History Channel about who Jesus really was. And there's confusion in our society about the person of Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes I think that infiltrates the church too. And we feel confused about who Jesus is. And so I think John's words for us today are incredibly relevant as he sees these churches being torn apart and destroyed and people leaving the church because of their confusion about who Jesus is. And so he steps into this confrontation against these false teachers and he he tries to bring some clarity and tries to give some, some protection for the people of God on how they can stand firm against these false teachings. And so for us today, to kind of unpack the meaning of this passage, we're going to look at, at who John is calling the Antichrist. Who are these people that, that, that get this awful name? Why does he call them Antichrist? What is it that they're teaching that he has to stand up against? And then how can we ourselves protect ourselves from teachings that are, are, are in contradiction to who Jesus was? And so the first thing that John is seeing in threatening his churches, it begins in verse 18, and you can immediately tell the shift in tone. So he starts out, my dear children, which he says over and over again throughout this letter. He says, this is the last hour. Dun, dun, dun. This is the end times. This is when things are going to go haywire. This is when things are going against the will of God. And he says, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is in the truth, is what it goes on to say. I think we just lost the the last part of that verse there. So John comes to his children in this part of the letter, and he says, My children, you know the truth. You know the truth. I know you're confused right now, but if you search yourself, you know the truth. But there are these false teachers who are leading you astray and causing confusion about who the person of Jesus is. And so he calls them the Antichrist. This is a, a unique term to John's writing. There's actually no other author in the New Testament who uses that term Antichrist. We see it in his gospel, the gospel of John. We see it in his letters and we even see it in the book of Revelation where it really takes shape and takes form. If you're familiar at all with that term Antichrist, you might have images right now of the Left Behind series in the late 1990s, right? Where there was this whole series, I think it was like 20 books or something like that, that talked about the Antichrist in a fictional format. or Some of you, you may see yourself seeing the Antichrist in current events, and you're someone who, when you see different political figures rise and fall, you think, yep, that dude is for sure the Antichrist. We know that dude is the Antichrist. And there's numerous people throughout history who have have taken on that name, Antichrist, who have been labeled Antichrist, all the way back to to 60s, 70s, all the way back to, to the Roman Empire, different points in time people have been labeled antichrist but we have this image of an apocalyptic political figure who rises to power takes over the world in opposition to God it's this very exciting idea uh, of a very evil person who's coming to power and going to harm the church and, and try to attack God John is not talking about that person. As exciting as that is, he's talking about something that is much more real and much more dangerous than some mythical apocalyptic figure. He's talking about false teachers within the church who have denied the truth of Jesus Christ he says that there are many of them, that it's not just one figure, but there are many of them that have popped up and sprouted up throughout his churches. And he's saying they are trying to lead you astray. And so you need to be aware of the threat that they have to your church and to your faith. And not only that, but he says that they were a part of the community. And so John is feeling some level of betrayal that these people that that he shepherded, that he pastored, that he believed in, that he, he probably ate with and did life with, have gone astray. And not only have they gone astray, but they have been trying to lead other people astray, aggressively teaching false teachings. And so John says that they were a part of the community, but then they left the community, which means that they were never really a part of the community, because if they really were a part of the community, they never would have left the community in the first place. Which feels a little bit like a circular argument, if I'm honest with you, but we'll let him have, have that one. And so he's saying that there are these antichrists, these false teachers that have left the church um, and are trying to pull people with them. Now, if I'm honest with you, and you might even be having this reaction in this moment, that you know people who have left the church. You probably have friends or family who have left the church. I know I do. I've talked about that before. And the question is, does that really make them antichrists? That feels like really harsh language. I mean, if you know anything about the the person of John, he's known as the beloved disciple, someone who is intimately connected in, in relationship with Jesus. He loved Jesus dearly, Jesus loved him. He's known as the apostle of love. He wrote the book on God's love for us in this letter. But he also has a different nickname, and it is the Son of Thunder. He and his brother were known as the Sons of Thunder. There's a a, a fight in John. He is a person who is not willing to mess around. And there's actually a story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is trying to enter a town, and people are rejecting Jesus. They don't want him to come into town. And John's response, he walks up to Jesus with his brother, and he said, Hey, they're being kind of rude to you. Should we call down fire from heaven and consume and destroy them? It's like... What? That's your response to someone being rude? It's like, let's just call down fire, consume them, let them burst into balls of flame like that. That's John. He does not mess around. And so he's using this harsh language for, for false teachers. But I think there's a part of us that questions, man, I, I, I know people who have left the church. Do they deserve that kind of harsh language? I, I'm, you may be sitting here in this room today or online at home wondering whether or not the church is really worth it. And what you just heard John say is that you are Antichrist. That feels like really strong language. And so I think it's really important for us to know that that is not what John is talking about. He's saying that these particular people, these leaders, these spiritual leaders who are teaching false teachings about Jesus, they are Antichrist, not because they're questioning or wondering or doubting, but because they are aggressively leading people astray. It's not just that they are trying to figure out who they think Jesus is. It's that they think they have the answer. The answer is wrong. And they are aggressively trying to destroy and tear down the church. And so he uses this strong language specifically for them. I think that's important because I know in this kind of, of season of the church, there are a lot of people who are struggling and doubting. And In fact, academics have kind of come up with a term to try to, to describe the season of faith where people are wrestling and, and trying to, to come up with what they truly believe and, and pulling apart some of the things that they believe. And they call it a, a season of deconstruction. And, and what they say is deconstruction is a season that refers to where an individual asks questions about their faith tradition that lead to a dismantling of their previous beliefs. Some call it a mid-faith crisis where deeply held beliefs are re-examined and sometimes jettisoned in favor of new ideas. It often happens when you experience some sort of, of life experience where what you believed comes in conflict with what you're experiencing. So maybe you lose a loved one and you've always believed that God is good, but then this loss of someone you deeply care about has caused friction. We're like, can God actually be good if this is what has happened in my life? For some of us, it's, it's our relationship with the church and the hypocrisy that we see and the way that people say we have to live out our faith and it causes this incongruency within us. Is that really what Jesus has called us to? And so we go through these seasons of questioning and doubt and deconstruction. And when we hear passages like this, I think oftentimes the church has said, this is why you can't doubt. This is why you can't question. This is why you can't wrestle. Because if you leave the church, you're an antichrist. And perceived or not, that's the message that we receive. But that's not what John is trying to do here. What he is trying to do is he is saying that there are people who are actively trying to tear apart the church. Not that there's no room for doubt or questioning. At Waterstone, we actually encourage people to question and doubt. We we think that there's a lot of good that can happen when you disentangle Jesus from from the evangelical subculture. There's a lot of good that can happen when you disentangle Jesus from particular uh, church expressions that you may have had as a child or a young adult. There's a lot of good that can happen in disentangling Jesus from the ways that he has been misrepresented in fact, we think that, that seasons of doubt and questioning and wrestling actually lead to deeper faith, not loss of faith. So there's plenty of room for, for this idea of deconstruction. But I would humbly offer a, a gentle warning in the spirit of John in his letter, this warning that he's giving to his people. And that when we are deconstructing, when we are questioning, when we are wrestling, when we are doubting, we can't lose sight of the person of Jesus Christ. You see, what happens oftentimes when we doubt or we wrestle or we're confused is that we allow different ways that Christ has been represented to us, or we allow different ways we've seen the church act, cause us to lose sight of Jesus. And what we're actually deconstructing is is Jesus himself. And what I would encourage you is, is don't lose sight of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Question, doubt, wrestle, but do that with Jesus, in conversation with Jesus, in conversation with God's people. I think what John is saying, and he says it multiple times in this passage for his people, is that we have to remain in Christ because it's in the person of Jesus that it is foundational to who we are and what we believe and how we live out our faith. And so John is talking more specifically about these false teachers, these antichrists who are presenting an idea of Jesus that is against orthodoxy. That's against the accepted beliefs that the church has always held, that the apostles have taught from the very beginning. The people who saw Jesus, who knew Jesus, who heard Jesus. The question is, what were they actually teaching Well, John goes on to kind of give us a a little glimpse of of what he's up against in his opponents. And he asks the question, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. You see, what John is saying is that the people who are antichrist, these false teachers, they are chopping at the very foundation of Christianity. They are going after the person and work of Jesus Christ and saying that he is not the Messiah, that he is not the son of God. And they are the ones who get this strong language. What they are really denying is the incarnation, the belief that in Jesus, God was fully human and fully divine that Jesus is God wrapped in flesh, entered into human history. And we don't have a full grasp of or understanding of all the argument that was being had. But what we do know is that these false teachers were going after that ideology or that theology. And what they were really saying is that Jesus was probably just born a normal person like you or I. And then around the time of his baptism or probably at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him and God's presence enveloped him and and empowered him for his ministry and then left him when he was hung on the cross. That's that's kind of the idea that's being um, thrown out there and then that they're teaching. And John has a problem with this. He says, that's not okay. We cannot go after the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand for John, this is not just a theological issue, although it is that. It's also a deeply personal issue. John was one of Jesus' closest friends, He knew Jesus, he walked with Jesus, he ate with Jesus, he wept with Jesus. He saw Jesus perform miracles and raise people from the dead and feed 5,000. He saw Jesus before the, the, the trial of people who accused him of not being the son of God and he saw him die for that claim. He was one of the only disciples who was with Jesus at the cross, And so when you start going after his friend, I mean, many of us can relate. When you have a close friend that you love, that you care about a family member, that people start saying things about them that aren't true, it's deeply personal. But beyond that, even deeper than that, is is John is wrestling with a deep theological truth. He says that it's not just a personal thing, but the doctrine of the incarnation, the the doctrine that Jesus was wrapped in flesh, And yet still God is crucial to the faith of Christianity. See, for John and all of the other New Testament writers, if you go after that, the whole thing begins to crumble. You're not just disagreeing on on doctrine. You are disagreeing on the foundation of our faith. Tim Keller, he puts it this way. The doctrine of the incarnation is that we are so sinful and the world is so broken that nothing less than this drastic measure, God becoming man, was necessary to save us. I'll put it another way the gospel is that no matter how hard we try, no matter our moral efforts, we are so sinful and the world is so devastated and broken by sin, we will never be able to get up to God. Therefore, God had to come to us. Therefore, anybody who denies that Jesus Christ is actually the son of God come in the flesh has changed the gospel, has changed Christianity into something else. See, John says, if we miss this, if we miss the person and work of Jesus Christ, we've missed the whole thing. There is no following Jesus, there is no Christianity, there is no faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ if he is not the son of God. That this doctrine, this idea that God has come down to us, I mean, it's foundational even from this standpoint. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but every culture in the ancient world all had this idea that that things had to be killed. People or animals had to be sacrificed in order to appease God. That blood must be spilt in order to make God happy with us. And it doesn't matter where you go in the world or what culture or what tribe or what ancient culture you experience. There was this belief that we had to, in order to get to God, kill things and sacrifice and shed blood. What John is saying is the incarnation is what reverses that. That in the incarnation, we no longer have to shed blood to get to God, but God sheds his blood to get to us. It's a deep theological truth that John is saying. If we start going after that, if we are chopping at that foundation, then we have nothing in common with one another. You need to leave because that's not what we believe. We have to remain rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why John uses such strong language against them for coming after Jesus in this way. Now, if I'm honest with you, I would would say most of the people in this room and probably most of the people watching online with us, this is actually not an issue that, that we're creating division over. We're not in the same moment where many of us are, are creating division or, or pulling apart the, the doctrine of who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us. There's pretty widespread agreement on that. It's kind of one of the essential things that we believe in the church. It's one of the essential things that Waterstone preaches and teaches continuously. But, but my fear is what's threatening the church is not the doctrine of Jesus, but that we have let other things, ideologies, trump our theology that we're not remaining in Christ, that that Christ is not the center that holds us together. We are allowing other things to come in and infiltrate the church that, that are trumping the theology. So instead of being people who come together around the person and work of Jesus Christ, we split and we divide over issues like masks and whether or not the church should tell us or not tell us or how the church responds to a pandemic. And it breaks my heart. Because I see in the church this potential to to chase after the person of Jesus Christ, to be unified around the person of Jesus Christ and him alone. And yet what I see in the church is division and disunity erupting all over the place on secondary issues, things that may not even be secondary, ideologies that we feel more comfortable with that other people disagree with. And so we leave the church because they don't agree with the way that we live our life or want to live our life. I think if John were writing to our church, he would say, hold the center, which is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Waterstone has always been a community that has agreed to disagree. As long as I've been here and from before my time here, it has been a place where we agree to disagree on the secondary issues. That we hold firmly to Jesus Christ. We have to agree on who he is and what he has done for us. But there is no division worth the secondary issues. And so to be honest with you, we have a community here where we have people who are are pro-Trump and we have people here who are never Trumpers. And they sit together every Sunday and may not even know. We have people who are are vaccinated and we have people who would never be vaccinated in a million years. We have people who are are, are for immigration reform and and wanting open borders and we have people who wanna build a wall We have people who are pro-life and we have people who believe it's a woman's choice. We have people within our community who agree to disagree and we disagree fiercely at times and we can argue about the implications of the gospel and how it affects those things and how we live out our faith. But we do not allow those things to divide us and separate us. Because we are a people and a community that is built solely on the foundation of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so the the warning for us is not that that we would lose sight of Jesus because we don't believe in his divinity or his humanity. The, the, The danger, the threat for us is that we would lose sight of Jesus because we are allowing secondary things to divide us. Are we willing to be a community that says, we may disagree on who we vote for, but when it comes to the person of Jesus, that is what trumps all other dividing lines. It is in Jesus, in Jesus alone, that we are united and unified to proclaim and demonstrate God's love, justice, and mercy to the world. That is the mission of this church. So John says that the center of the Christian community is the proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God. And that is worth fighting over. But all of these other things have to become secondary. They are not identity. They are not our theology. They are ideologies that we hold to, that we can agree to disagree and disagree fiercely at times but that we are people that come together around the person of Jesus. So we've looked at who the antichrists were and we've looked at what their teaching was and how both of those have implications for for different threats that may be present in the church today. But John also says that that we have room and space to, to stand firm in the true teaching of who Jesus was against these false teachings and these false doctrine. And so he goes on to finish this section of the letter and he says, As for you, see that you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it was taught to you, remain in him." And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. John says that, that in this season of the life of church, in these last times, we can remain confident that we are in Christ and we can remain unashamed about who we are as a community of believers, as followers of Jesus, if we do two things. And the first one is he says, if you remain in what you have heard from the beginning, What he's talking about is the apostles' teaching, the the doctrine of who Jesus was. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying the people of God are a people who are committed to the teachings of the doctrine of Jesus Christ and that gospel alone. And, And what he's really saying is that there is objective truth about who Jesus is and that we have to remain firm on that objective truth. And it's interesting in the, in the time we live in in this time of relativism, and as I said earlier, people just kind of make up who Jesus is and they say Jesus is whoever they want him to be. And there's an analogy that kind of helps us understand relativism and you may have heard it before, but it's this idea that there are several people who are, are blind and they come across an elephant and they start touching the elephant and they all have a different perspective because they can't see the elephant. And so one person touches the trunk and they think, oh, I'm touching a snake. And then another person touches a tusk and says, oh, this must be a spear. And then another person touches the the wall or the side of the elephant and says, Oh, this is a wall that I'm touching. Another person touches the leg and says, Oh, this is a I I think I'm touching a tree. It's the idea that all people can have this, this say and this understanding of who God is, and maybe it's different, but eventually we all get to the same conclusion in the same place. The problem with that analogy is what happens if the elephant speaks? What happens if the elephant says, Hey, I'm not a snake, I'm an elephant? I'm not a wall. I'm an elephant. You see, we can't make up whatever truth we want. Truth is not internal to us. It is external to us. And what John is saying is that we have to stay firm on the doctrine of who Jesus is because he has spoken and told us who he is. He didn't make us stumble around in the dark and try to find a way to him. He came to us. to save us and to redeem us, and he has told us who he is. And so we are a people who remain firmly planted in that truth. So we're not battered about by different ideologies or different ideas of who Jesus might have been, that we remain firm in that truth. But secondly, John says that there's, there's another way that we can know that we can remain firm in the truth. And he says this interesting line about the anointing you receive from him remains in you. See that the anointing you receive from him remains in you. What he's talking about there is that there is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within the people of God that helps them remain in the truth. That it gives us knowledge of who Jesus is. And and not just knowledge from a, a head perspective, not just head knowledge, but experiential knowledge that we can experience the love and work of Jesus Christ. That it's, it's more than just knowing about God. It is knowing God intimately. And that the spirit, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, it, it can be the voice, the guiding teacher that allows us to know when we're getting off course. And, and many of us have felt that. We, we've heard teachings. It was like, ah, I don't know that that's actually who Jesus was. That's the spirit enlightening us and helping us understand where people are going astray. I was talking with Nick about this last night. I was like, Nick, I have no idea like how to really break this down and I don't understand, like it's such a mystery. And he said, Paul, it it is a mystery. But what John is saying is that your spirit knows because of the power of the Holy Spirit that you can find rest in who Jesus is. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit in the body and community of believers allows us to have that intimacy and that knowledge with him. So John says to to stand firm against teaching, we need to, to remain in the truth of the gospel. And we need to remain in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think for many of us, the danger is not that we will renounce our faith. For many of us, it's allowing ourselves to be swept away by secondary issues, whether deconstruction or division. What John is saying is that we, the people of God, are firmly rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And what's fascinating is as these different ideologies have popped up and as these different divisions throughout the, the history of the church have arisen and people have been confused and, and wondering and, and doubting and, and wondering what the truth is, again and again they return to the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, places where, where the people of God came together to affirm and proclaim what it is they believe. We thought it would be appropriate today to, to join in that proclamation that, that we will not be a community that is divided or, 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 or experiences disunity about secondary things, but they, we would be a people who proclaim and demonstrate the love of Jesus, that we would be a community united around him. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand and read the Apostles' Creed with me. We believe in one holy, global, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Father, I pray for the community of Waterstone that the words we just proclaimed, that we just read together, that we prayed together would be true of us, that that is what would hold the center. That all of the different ways, the different ideologies, the different things that that are threatening to divide us would fade in comparison to the love and work and person of Jesus Christ. That we would be a people who love each other immeasurably because of the love that we have experienced from you. God, may this be the center that holds us together. May we be committed to one another and committed to you. In Christ's name, amen.